Hey, what's going on? My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode of The Doug Show, I'm going to talk about the state of the podcast and some other random things. This is being recorded as we approach, I guess, episode 300. We're not quite there yet, and I'm not one for sort of like landmark episodes, although I do remember, I think at episode 50 and maybe 100, I got to be honest with you, I did a state of the podcast kind of episode, but I felt like doing this one sooner because there's just been a few things going on that I want to talk about. So it'll be a little bit of a random episode today, and I think we'll just, we'll get right into it. I have a few notes here that I want to go over. So one interesting thing is, I I think probably for the first year or year and a half, I didn't have any ads on the podcast at all. And as time went on, I guess companies started contacting me and I thought, well, why don't we test running some ads on the podcast? So typically I've been running one ad per episode for I think the last year and a half or so. I didn't look back specifically, but roughly about that amount of time. And I do two episodes per week. So I typically just have the one ad per episode. I think maybe for a little while, I ended up with like two episodes for one of the, or sorry, two ads for one of the episodes per week. And uh, generally, when I ask the audience uh, to give me their opinion, well, it turns out people that listen to podcasts, are doing other shit at the same time. So they're driving in their car, they're doing other things, and they typically aren't able to easily shoot me an email or let me know anything. For the few people that did get back to me, generally they said, oh, it's cool because you're advertising products that are relevant, things that I would maybe purchase. It makes sense to have those sort of ads. Plus, people seem to understand that it costs money and time to produce a podcast. So if I'm able to run a couple ads, it can offset some of the editing costs or whatever, just my time, right? The other big part is they were relevant ads. It wasn't for things that are completely uh, unrelated to the topics that we talk about. So typically it was uh, like Ezoic, who is a display ad company and it helps people monetize their websites. So it totally makes sense. Other times it's uh, perhaps an agency that does content or link building. And then Otis is a uh, age domain marketplace, I would call it. So again, fits perfectly in with the topics that we discuss. And there's a lot of customers already in the audience and then people find out about companies and services. So again, it makes sense. No major issues. And I've actually enjoyed running ads, just straight up ads where I can do a live read. I always negotiate that I have full creative control. They can give me notes, uh, maybe some bullet, actually ask for bullet points that I can use to start the live read. Sometimes there will be more of a script, but I always like in the contract say, I want full creative control so I can say whatever I want. I could cuss, I can, I'm, you know, I'm typically not going to bad mouth a sponsor that just doesn't make sense, but 
in other pieces of my content, I may say, oh, this portion of work from a sponsor is not my favorite and here's why. Usually I'm not just aggressively negative for any <laughs> any reason. So overall, ads have been pretty good and it was not on my radar at all. When I started the podcast, I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to build this up and then monetize it later. I really was just trying to build an audience for myself. I do have some courses, which I know are relevant to some of the audience, but other people, a lot of the podcast audience is very much advanced. And some of the courses that I have just don't fit because these are people making, um, you know, tens of thousands per month and they don't need a beginner course. They don't, they've solved these problems. They already know what to do. So in a lot of ways, um, it's a blend of an audience and it just became sort of a happy accident that companies wanted to run ads. Another cool part with just having a platform is I sort of built different layers over time and now we're moving away from the state of the podcast, but just you know, as, as a lot of you probably know, I have a, a blog, an email list, a YouTube channel, and now two podcasts. So there are various pieces and everything except the second podcast that I have, they all sort of fit together. It's the same audience and I can advertise something in multiple places like the email list, a YouTube video, and of course the podcast. So it ends up being kind of a cool platform and One other thing related to the ads is it's really, it's fairly easy to start an agency or a service-based business, whether you have, you know, zero employees and you're just doing the work, or if you're slowly building up a team, it's pretty easy to get started with that. And it's actually straightforward, not necessarily easy, but it's straightforward to start getting clients through a platform like Fiverr or Upwork, or if you happen to have a blog, you can sell it there as well. But there are marketplaces and a built-in audience in, in various spots online where you can start growing your business right away. However, it's kind of hard and it takes a lot of time to build trust in the form of a podcast. Or if you're thinking, hey, I'm going to start an agency and I want to do a podcast, it potentially will take you a lot longer to build up an audience and then build up the trust within that audience to actually start making sales. It, it could be relatively fast on the, the grand scale of things, but I would say it's at least going to take you, you know, six, 12, 18 months to get some steam and momentum for any platform, whether it's a blog or YouTube or a podcast. So the fact is, agencies were starting up. They didn't have a built-in audience, but I did. I already had an audience. So it's kind of a no-brainer for them to sign up and just advertise to my audience. Now, the hard part, the very difficult part with you know running the ads is I don't want to advertise a shitty agency or a bad company And there are probably, I mean, this hasn't happened, but there were, there are probably companies that would pay me a lot of money, but I hate their products and I probably wouldn't advertise for them because their, their service sucks or the products are bad or I had a bad experience. And it turns out I can probably find an alternative or just not advertise that specific product. 
So I have a lot of luxury in that. It it does present a problem when some companies contact me and they're like, hey, we have a brand new tool. We're going to change the way X works and it's going to be a really big deal. Well, usually I don't believe the marketing hype because I've received that pitch at least a dozen times. And usually they don't do whatever it is they say they're going to do. They're just trying to get me excited. I'm not very excitable. (laughs) So the little problem is sometimes it's hard for me to sort through all the noise. And as a result, I've just adopted a less is more. And it's not worth it to me generally to have to sort through all the BS. And it could become, you know, a lot less fun if I, let's say I had to deal with a lot more uh, ad uh, ad reads in, in different companies like throughout the week because I'm doing a lot more ad reads, I would probably need to figure out a way to streamline that and make it easy for me. And I wouldn't want to like bring people on for like a short period of time and then roll them off or anything like that. So grand conclusion, ads have been good. I've kept it simple. I've kept it sustainable. And, you know, potentially I would have another ad or two per episode. Because one thing I found out recently as we transition to the next topic here, I am actually getting a lot more downloads than I thought. If you're a longtime listener or you've heard me rant uh, occasionally, the analytics for podcasts are awful. They're absolutely terrible. You at best can get the number of downloads per episode because, you know, they have to, you know, a listener has to download the episode to be able to listen to it. What you don't know is if they actually listened to the episode or how long they listened. Apple has recently come out with some, you know, more, I guess, specific metrics in that area. So you can have an idea if people listen to most of the episode or not very much. And if they're very engaged where they're like downloading every episode and listening to most of it or whatever. The thing is with Apple, they allow you to opt in or opt out of those analytics. So if you're more privacy minded and you get that little pop-up and in your podcast player and it says, oh, can we share analytics? So people have the analytics for the podcast. A lot of people will say no. When my little notification popped up, I said, no, I don't want to share any data. You guys already have tons of my data, so no, I don't want to share anymore. So all that to say, Apple has a little bit more data for us, but it's not everyone and it's not all inclusive. So the thing is, I use a hosting company for my podcast called Castos. It's very good. I like their pricing scheme and I've never had any issues with the downloads or the hosting itself. The support is very good when I've had a question. Now, the one gripe that I do have is they have a a podcast stats plugin for WordPress. And it was part of the suite of products. So I thought, okay, I'll download that. And then I'll have the little dashboard and the, the little statistics in my WordPress dashboard whenever I log in. Or I can go to the hosting company, log in there and see the backend analytics for the actual hosting servers. So two two places to look for metrics. What I didn't know is the WordPress plugin is not very accurate. 
for the stats. It only reflects, um, I guess, the listens that are either on the site or whatever, uh, if someone downloads via the RSS feed from the WordPress feed, which is different than the RSS feed. I'm getting technical here, but it's different from the RSS feed on the hosting side. So there's actually two feeds, one from WordPress and one from the actual hosting company. And you can use either one of those for your uh, RSS feed whenever you submit it to Apple or Google or Spotify or whatever. So I'll just get to the bottom line here. I was only getting a fraction. I was only seeing a fraction of the actual downloads. So it turns out, I think per episode, I'm getting much closer to a thousand to, well, I'll just say a thousand plus or minus some factor, roughly a thousand downloads per episode. And then another, I would say 500 to 3000 views on the YouTube side. So depending on what the topic is, it may do better or worse over on YouTube. So that's a lot more than what was being reported. It looked like I was only getting about 250 or 300 downloads per episode for a very long time. And I sort of rejiggered some of the analytics and the RSS feeds. And then I read some of the documentation, which I never ran across before. Trust me, I, I tried to read all the documentation before. So I ran across some documentation that said it's more accurate to use the analytics from the hosting company. And then when I stepped away and slept on it and thought about it again a few days later, I realized, oh, I bet the hosting company has the suite of plugins for WordPress, for podcasters that they use to get you roped in. They use it as sort of a, like a free tool so that you will then sign up for their hosting because that's where they make their money. Because why the fuck would people just make a free tool for no reason and give it away? They want to get you into the ecosystem and then they can sell you the hosting. Well, I was already using the hosting and it turns out the WordPress podcast stats were horseshit. So anyway, once I learned that, I felt much better uh, because I actually getting a lot more downloads, which is great. It's great to see. It's not something I like really focused on. And a lot of people will say, Oh, you know, uh, leave us reviews and all this stuff. And I just, I haven't been pushing as hard and I haven't gone on like a big podcast campaign, which as I was thinking about this and thinking about talking about it, I thought, Hey, maybe I should go on a big podcast campaign so that I can maybe build up the listenership a little bit. And I'm not beyond that. I haven't actually done that in like a real serious way. I have, I've heard uh, some of my peers and they will actually like have someone do outreach and try to get on like, you know, 50 or 60 podcasts over the course of a couple months just to, you know, number one, spread the word of their brand, get backlinks to their site, And the person I'm thinking of, I don't even think they have a podcast. I think they were just trying to get some links and do, you know, a little experiment out there. But me, I love the podcasting platform. I apparently like talking, which is, that's something I I never thought I'd say. But I do like talking even to myself for long periods of time. It's great to have guests on, of course, but I have a good time doing the podcast and I would love to be guest on shows. So actually, if you have a podcast out there, 
or YouTube channel even. I'll, I'll do either one. Shoot me an email. I'll be, I'll be on your show. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Ezoic. Leap is a new product that they have. It's replacing the old site speed accelerator, and they're getting rid of the old subscription model that was with the old product. So now, Leap is free. It's 100% free to Ezoic monetization customers, and basically, it's a robust tool set that works perfectly with the Ezoic cloud to deliver core web vital friendly ads. That is a mouthful. So I think I messed up on the cadence, but you get the idea. The thing is here, Leap is for core web vitals. It's more than just another optimization tool. It's an entire tool set that eliminates the need for expensive plugins, technologies, and analytics. Right. Let me say it again. It eliminates the need for those expensive plugins. I know a lot of people will push specific plugins. A lot of them have, uh, really annual fees, but again, Leap is included if you're using the Ezoic monetization. And basically, it makes it possible for all sites using Leap to pass the core web vitals. And the thing is, if you show ads on your site, it's probably going to load slower. But the thing is, core web vitals and Leap they work together well here. So the Ezoic cloud works with Leap to deliver server-side ads along with the entire page via the new Ezoic Edge so that everything passes Core Web Vitals. This feature is limited to sites integrated with the Ezoic Cloud and it's not available anywhere else. But the thing is, Leap is awesome. They sponsor the show. Ezoic's great to work with. I've been working with them for a few years. So if you are concerned, if you need help with your Core Web Vitals, check out Leap. It could be the right thing for you to do. All right. One other thing that I tested and this ended up not working at all was have guests that pitched me or let me, let me say this a different way. I would have guests who paid to be on the show. So one thing that happens is you end up with a lot of people trying to be on your show, which is actually stepping back. That's one reason why I haven't done this email campaign to try to be on other podcasts is because I probably get two or three emails per week where a company is trying to market a guest to be on my show. Typically, these are people who are putting out books, maybe they're uh, coming out with a, a product of some kind, or they have a podcast and they want to, to market it by being on other podcasts to build up their subscriber base. And the thing is, some of these guests were potentially pretty good. Maybe they fit the the right profile for a guest and maybe they've done affiliate marketing. But the thing is, I didn't want to have people who were just pushing a book, especially like strangers. So if, if a friend of mine was launching a book, sure, I'll have you on. If it's someone that I've worked with before in the past, great. I'll help you promote your book. But when it's some random person not as interested, I obviously, hopefully, I realize that I'm like being used as like a marketing, a marketing tool for them. And when I started getting all these pitches from companies that were 
getting paid to place their guest on shows, I'm like, this is crazy. And I, I don't know what to do here. So I started investigating a little bit and I realized that there are some shows, some big shows that will basically have anyone on if you pay to be on there. So you could, you could pay to be a guest and basically treat it like a huge advertisement. Now, some shows are, they are structured so that it won't be a full, full on ad. Someone will be able to tell their story and it'll potentially be valuable. I didn't want to sort through all the noise because a lot of the people were literally publishing books and the books did not align with anything that I do or that, you know, the audience is interested in or more accurately, anything that I'm interested in sharing with the audience. So a lot of people are into real estate and I'm sure a lot of you in the audience are into real estate, rental homes, investment properties, anything like that. But I don't want to talk to anyone about that because me personally, I have a very low interest in real estate, just not a thing that I care about. I you know, don't enjoy any part of the process and I'm not looking to learn more about real estate. It's totally fine if other people do, just not what I'm interested in. So that said, I, I just sort of blanket started uh, rejecting people and then realized that maybe I could set up a page on Doug.show that talked about guest submissions and how much it would cost. So I sent that out to a handful, I would say a couple dozen people that try to contact me to be on the show, them like individually, or they could have been working with a uh, marketing agency to place people in podcasts. So I sent it out to a couple dozen and I had zero people accept the, or try to go further or ask any questions. I think I had one of the funny ones was someone asked to be on the show. They said, oh, maybe we could pay. And then when I uh, sent them to the page, they said, this is crazy. This is way beyond what we would pay. It just wouldn't be worth it from, you know, listening to your show and checking it out. It just wouldn't be worth it, which was kind of a, I was slightly offended because they, they approached me like I'd be doing them a favor, but they were kind of jerks about it. Anyway, so that was sort of a failure, but in the long run, and now where I sit before you today, I probably will take down that page. I haven't thought about it in a long time, but at this point, I don't think I would interview someone for, for money. Now, as soon as the, that sentence came out of my mouth, I thought, you know what? If somebody paid me 10,000 bucks, I would probably interview them. So, you know what? Everyone has a price. And I guess mine is about 10,000 bucks for about an hour interview. I would, you know what? I'd do that all day. <laughs> so I guess that's my price, but no one took me up on the, uh, the offer that I mentioned before. And I think, honestly, I think as more podcasters see how this is going, I mean, this is a hundred percent analogous to guest posting on blogs. So as podcasters, even smaller podcasters get hit up all the time by these guests that are nonsense and these marketing companies that are just, they're like, here's the one pager. Here's the most impressive person. Here's three topics they could talk about. As more and more of us get these bullshit pitches, we're going to start asking for money. And actually, if you have a podcast or you have a platform or you're on YouTube, start doing that. I mean, you have an asset that you've built up. 
And you don't have to, you know, interview these jokers out there that that are just trying to hawk their book. You spent time building the audience. So, you know, don't bend over backwards for people that are just trying to use you. I'll get off my high horse there. All right, another thing, and less related to some of the, you know, podcast stuff, and then I'll, I'll uh, round it up. And qu- quick reminder, if you are, you know, not subscribed to the podcast yet, I, uh, I think you should check it out, especially, you know, if you are a person who is often doing other things, which I think that classifies everyone. A lot of people do like to listen to podcasts while they're on the go. So if you want to check out the audio version, that would be, that's the perfect thing to do. So this is one of the random points here. I was chatting with my wife yesterday and we were talking about, I don't remember, it doesn't matter. But she said, oh, you know what? I, I noticed you haven't been working as much lately, probably during the summertime. I think that was the time frame, probably like the last two to three months or so. And I thought, that is great. I've literally been trying to slow down a little bit and not work as much and take more days off. I've slowly been doing this more and more over time. And to be honest with you, for the last two and a half years or so, I have Monday and Friday blocked off on my calendar so no one can schedule anything with me. There's very few people that can schedule something with me anyway, but I just block those days out. So most of my you know work days are Tuesday through Thursday. And another thing I added in there more recently, the last six months or so, was to block out a lot of the Thursdays as well so that I can go hiking a little bit more. And I've been making a conscious effort to get out of the office, get away from my computer and be outside a little bit more. Some of it is hiking. I've been going on some big hikes lately. I've been sort of training for this uh, 14er, which is a 14,000 foot mountain and it's called Long's Peak. It's a very difficult one. It's, um, I think it's about 15-ish, 14, I'll say 14 to 15 and a half miles round trip. And I I don't have the notes in front of me. I want to say it's like a 5,000 foot elevation gain, but it's a fairly long hike just in general. And there's a little, I think what we would call class two, class three um, climbing where you have to scramble up some rocks. It is mostly, you know, a long, long ass hike in the Alpine area. But one of the tough things with the longest peak hike is you you have to start very early because you don't want to get caught above the tree line after, say, about noon or so. Because if there's a uh, storm or anything that rolls in, which there's a lot of storms, there's almost not necessarily daily, but more often than not, there's an afternoon thunder shower up in the mountains. And it's very dangerous if you're above the tree line. No no trees grow up there. So it's really just rock and gravel and sort of sheer uh, faces of rock. So if there's a lightning strike, you're probably the tallest thing around and it's extremely dangerous. So it's very important to hike Long's Peak very early. And we're talking, you know, leaving the trailhead at like 3 a.m. to maybe 6 a.m., depending on how fast you are and how daring you are. So most likely I'm going to try to leave on that hike. 
I may push it to like four or so because that'll really screw up your sleep. Anyway, I've been hiking more because I'm training for this Long's Peak hike, which is quite difficult. And I actually did it many years ago when I was, well, it was about 20 years ago. I was in uh, college and I was out here in the Rocky Mountain National Park where I worked over some summers and I didn't know how difficult it was. Also, I was 22. So when my friend was like, hey, do you want to hike this mountain? I have the day off tomorrow. You do too. I said, fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. So I, I didn't realize how tough it was. And, you know, I was in I was in a 22-year-old shape, which was fine. Actually, I may be in a little bit better shape now. nowadays. I think I'm probably a little bit lighter, maybe a little bit stronger too. Not sure. But anyway, I, I've hiked... Uh, two 13ers in the last uh, six weeks. And I did a, well, I guess it's a 12er. It was like 12,700 feet. And I've been practicing waking up early and wearing, you know, the exact same gear. I do have a bad Achilles. So I've been making sure that that's not going to give me an issue. I've, you know, just, I've tried to recreate everything that I would have to do to, to hike longs, except hiking that same distance. So the longest hike that I've done, I think it was like 11 and a half miles or so. We'll see how it goes. I think I may, at the time that I'm recording this, I think I may end up doing longs in two days from now. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. The weather is supposed to be good and favorable and I I am hopeful. So anyway, I've been working less. I've been hiking more and it's been awesome. I think it's a change that I, I want to continue to maybe do a little bit more of. Uh, to be honest with you, over the last 10 days or so, I haven't been taking as much time off, especially hiking, because I've been you know getting ready to go on a little vacation and take some more days off. So I've actually been like working ahead, recording more podcasts, recording uh, some other stuff ahead of time. So I've been a little bit busier and I do have some travel coming up. So I want to make sure I'm not uh, distracted when I'm in Austin, for example, for uh, FinCon, which I'm, I'm going to FinCon. I'm going to be in Austin. It'll be very fun. So I've been working ahead a little bit and the other part, even if I haven't been going on like big hikes and, and taking a full day off, I've just been outside walking more. I'll take Georgie for a walk. She enjoys swimming in the uh, left-hand creek out here, or is it the same for rain? One of these creeks out here, she loves going swimming, and I'll just try to be outside a little bit more. It has been fantastic. And if you have the you know luxurious position like me, you should do the same. It's really, you know, it's awesome if you can get out to some green space and just walk around outside. I feel I feel better and I sleep better just in general because of that. So as we wrap it up, the podcast has been great and I enjoy it so much. And I have to I have probably two to three ideas for other shows that I can do that would kind of be under the umbrella of the Doug show. And I have thought seriously very seriously about ramping those up and getting them started just because I enjoy the podcast uh, process so much. I've luckily so far have been strong-willed enough to not do it because I, I don't want to be so busy that it's not as fun, but damn, 
it's fun. So if you, if you thought about starting a podcast, I would say go for it. It's really fun. You're going to learn a lot. It'll be a little rocky at the beginning, but I, everyone that I've talked to, uh, recently who does podcasts, they love it too. They really enjoy it. And I, I met a new friend, uh, I guess in the last week, his name's Alan Donegan and I'll plug his show. It's called the uh, rebel entrepreneur. And it's part of the, I guess, Fi, uh, choose FI network, but you, you could find it. This guy, Alan Donegan is pretty well known out of the uh, UK, but he was, uh, around here locally and I got to hang out with him quite a lot. Really excellent speaker. He's actually a, I think, Oh, I can, I think he's an award-winning Toastmaster. So he's been in Toastmasters for many years and he has, um, this uh, rebel entrepreneur school used to be called pop-up business school. Anyway, all that shit is very cool. You should check out his podcast. There's a lot of episodes and I was actually listening to an interview with Alan and one of my friends was interviewing him. Apparently, I think for the first season of rebel entrepreneur, he recorded, Alan recorded six months of shows. And I'm not sure if it was uh, one show per week or two shows per week. He's currently publishing two shows per week, but season one could have just been one show. But regardless, he recorded six months of episodes in two weeks. And he said, oh, actually, I, I love doing sprints of work and you actually get more efficient. And I think he worked really hard those two weeks and that's probably all he was working on. But I, I'm not sure I'll do anything to that level. I've worked, you know, six to eight weeks ahead, um, at times, but there is some value in recording an episode and publishing it fairly soon after you record it. Sometimes the topics are a little bit timely, but what that told me, you know, number one, Alan's crazy. He works so hard and he's so focused and he was able to, you know, put this in a sort of a, assembly line kind of format where he could like do the shows, upload them, have his editors get to it. Um, his wife would schedule it and do some of the other admin and he could just focus on the content. Then when he finished with the two weeks, he had, um, six months to work on his other stuff, his other business uh, projects and everything like that. So anyway, he sort of inspired me and he mentioned that he loves doing sprints of work and that's something I like doing as well. So I may think about this a little bit harder and see what I can do. And it's, it's funny because I, I talk to my uh, VA occasionally because she helps me do some of the admin stuff for scheduling shows like this. And basically I realized I have been talking about you know sh- doing more shows ahead of time, but I rarely get ahead. I I rarely actually follow through and do it. So I will have to put my head down and think about this because again, I do like doing sprints of work and I love having sort of the, the stress free uh, lifestyle where I'm like, Oh, I don't have anything planned today. I can just sort of chill out. I can go on those hikes that I was telling you about or whatever I want, whatever I want to do. So anyway, check out Alan's show over on uh, Rebel Entrepreneur. We'll link in the, the show notes and, and description. And he talks about, you know, essentially, it's the perfect overlap because he is 
part of the financial independence community, but he's also an entrepreneur and has built a very successful business before he hit financial independence. So it is the overlap that I talk about all the time where I, I, I tell you, hey, if you're interested in side hustles and earning more money, you probably are interested in having freedom with your time. And that is exactly where this overlap is for people that want to be financially independent and secure with their finances and people that just want to have free time so they could spend it with their family or travel or just have the flexibility to take a nap in the afternoon if that's what they want to do with their time, which is 100% valid. I've actually been taking more naps too on the point of me working less. I've been integrating some naps in there. Do that if you have the ability. I aim for like an hour max, but like 40 minutes is pretty good for me. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this, please uh, subscribe to the podcast. I would really appreciate it. And we'll catch you on the next episode.